Hey listeners, I'm working on a mailbag episode where I answer your questions. So if you have anything you'd like to ask me, send me an email to sam at kitchentablemagic.org. I'll read all of your questions on air in a future episode. Thanks. Kitchen Table Magic is presented by Hipsters of the Coast. Hipsters of the Coast is the premier news and strategy blog for the Magic the Gathering community. Read up on insightful columns written by an expert team of Magic insiders. There's something for everyone. Discussion about legacy, commander, preview cards from the new set, and more. Just go to hipstersofthecoast.com for news and strategy on all of your favorite formats. That's hipstersofthecoast.com. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. With fast shipping, the best card sleeves, deck boxes, binders, and all the modern legacy and commander staples you could ever want, Card Kingdom is there with the hookup. If you'd like to support the show, just use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com KTM when you shop. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. Tune into their stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for daily legacy action. Let's do a quick sound check question. Why are you called the Red Baron? The story is a lot less interesting than you would expect. A buddy of mine was doing a 24-hour stream for charity, and I thought, I'll go help him out, have some fun. And this wasn't magic. He was doing some Super Smash Bros. He was doing some League of Legends and all that. And I showed up probably at about 11 p.m. or after a shift at work. And he decided that I needed an alias that was not my name. He was going under his, can't have him with his alias and me sitting there like TJ. It's boring. So we started brainstorming ideas for me and he came up with Red Baron. And it was purely because I like the color red. And that was sort of the end of it. But from that point forward, I actually, for a long time when I was still competing in Magic, I started keeping track of my sanctioned match wins on the side of the deck box, tallying each of the wins as we go down and crossing for the five and going to the next one. So I was like lining the deck box with all the sanctioned wins as I was moving down. So I took on that part of it, but I've yet to buy the scarf. <laughs> or eat the pizza. Or eat. Everybody <laughs> always asks about the pizza. Honestly, not that big of a fan of, of that particular type of pizza. I'd rather just get an, you know, one that isn't frozen. And the ones that are frozen, I'd probably go with something that is better. <laughs> That's too funny. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. In this episode, I'm talking to the commentator, streamer, and host, TJ Rogers. TJ is an advocate of Magic streams and wants to help more players and local game stores broadcast their games on the internet. TJ is interested in solving the technical challenges that comes along with streaming. What camera to buy, how to set up your computer, what the overlay should look like, what should the feature match area look like. TJ believes that live streaming matches with players on the internet builds community because it's a way for more people to feel like they're at the game store playing Magic. TJ is also researching ways of integrating cutting-edge card reader technology into the live streaming to deliver a better viewing experience. I caught up with TJ in the fall of 2017. I hope you enjoy my interview with TJ Rogers.
Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. And today I'm here with a high-flying TJ Rogers, also known as the Red Baron. TJ, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic. How about you? <laughs> I'm doing great. And uh, we're very it's very special. Today, we're not necessarily on your kitchen table. We're here on my kitchen table. It's a nice one, too. I'm quite enjoying myself. I'm having some La Croix uh, <laughs> for the first time. Really enjoying the experience. And that's right. We are drinking some La Croix right now. Um, and for the listening audience, if you haven't understood the full paleo fruity excellence of that is La Croix, La Croix, La Croix, whatever you want to call it, it's great. Mine says pamplemousse. <laughs> what is pamplemousse? Grapefruit. It's pretty great. I'm very excited and very happy to have you here, TJ. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Congratulations, because recently the Geek Fortress uh, Twitch channel hit 10,000 subs. Yes, it did. Uh, still getting used to that one. That's a, that's a long journey that we have apparently just begun the next part of. Yeah, and to clarify, I don't think it's subs. I think it's 10,000 follows. That's right? correct. Yeah, 10,000 follows, yes. But still, it's such a milestone. I would take 10,000 subs, but follows <laughs> will definitely do for now. Yeah, that <laughs> that is a long way to come in the two years that we've been doing this. And where is Geek Fortress? Geek Fortress is a shop located in Snohomish, Washington, up in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, uh, about 45 minutes north of Seattle. It's really beautiful. Um, I mean, I live in the east side of Seattle in a city called Bellevue. And whenever I go to Snohomish, I go up through the hills and everything's covered in trees. And I hit a valley and I go down the hill. And there's this incredible basin of a valley. There's like these huge fields and you see these mountains lining across. It's always very awe-inspiring, especially if like I'm going there for like a pre-TQ or something like that. It's like the morning, the sun's coming up, like the mountains are snow-capped and it's just really idyllic. Oh, yeah. It was a great place to grow up. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. And now I'm able to actually go up to my rooftop and get a view of both of the mountains. It's a, it's a nice place to go. It's very magic themed. I'm always thinking about it like the Plain of Bont or it's like Lorwyn. It's like Kithkin are roaming there or Leonin are roaming there. It's always very nice looking. I hadn't thought about that, but the more that you say it, I'm going to really start having that happen in my mind. I'm going to have to keep <laughs> an eye out for Elspeth and the, and the Loxodon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. I wanted to share with the listeners your journey as a magic player, as a grinder, as a commentary giver, a caster, I guess you would call it, you know, and also a streamer. And, you know, like all things, I want to start at the beginning. TJ, where did you grow up and where did you find magic? I grew up in Snohomish. So Geek Fortress is actually in my hometown. Grew up kind of in the middle of nowhere. I actually grew up without internet. Got off of dial-up when I was 19. Uh, I'm 26 now. I'm 25 now. How old am I? Um, How old are we? 90. I'm 25 now. I got off of dial-up when I was 19, so that was not too long ago. So I spent my childhood climbing into trees, falling out of trees, building tree houses, basically just spending a lot of it outside making up sports because I didn't really have all of those same uh, gaming consoles. I found magic through a buddy of mine named Jacob... Espy, who was a neighbor of mine, childhood friend, actually my longest friend. I've known him since kindergarten. And I knew that he played magic throughout most of our lives, but I had never really learned it. I wasn't that interested in it. I kind of figured that I was too cool for something like that, which of course is 
far from true, uh, both back then and just because the game's great. So at one point, he asked me to play with him. There were The stores hadn't really grown in the area. There weren't a bunch of them, so it wasn't as readily available to find a shop as it is now. So I said yes, and what we started off with was Commander, which is a bit of a first hurdle to have. But we got through it, and it was fun. And then he did something brilliant. He bought me my first magic deck. Wow. Yeah. Riku of Two Reflections. I remember very distinctly the those first games of magic, trying that one out, doubling the spells. And that was just a brilliant move on his part, because nothing got me more invested than actually owning those cards and wanting to play them and starting to talk about the game. So, I started off with Commander, played Commander almost exclusively for about two and a half years until Theros came out. And I had started right around uh, the start of Innistrad, right when those Commander series came out. So, I moved into Standard around Theros, and this is actually when I picked up my first red deck. It was the red deck wins with Burning Tree Emissary, Fanatic of Mogus, Hammer of Perforos, uh, Rakdos Cackler. And I played that deck, and I never looked back. And wow. it's been red all the way since. Did you always have an affinity for red as a color identity? Like, ever since you got started playing, you were, like, playing red. No. I actually remember my first favorite creature was the Hydra Omnivore Huh? out of that deck. It was a 8-8 eight, eight for 6, which was already awesome. <laughs> and then it had the text of whenever it deals combat damage to a player, it deals that much damage to each opponent. Oh, so, this was fantastic in the multiplayer, and me being a new Magic player, you see your first big green card, and you fall in love, as you want to do. And so, the story goes. And then, I fell in love with Trench Gorger, because it was an even bigger creature, which is starting to become a theme as we move into my Magic career, because after that, I discovered the Eldrazi. Oh, boy. So, my first box that I ever bought was actually a box of Rise of the Eldrazi. Uh-huh. This was some of the first cards that I'd ever purchased to add to my deck, and I opened up my first legendary, which was a Linvala, which I actually know where it is today. It's in my friend Patrick's collection. Wow. And then I also got Ulamog and Emrakul, did not get a Kozilek, and from there I moved those into my what became an Animar deck. And so Big Creatures was really the theme for me for a long time, identified as Simic, and then as Ravnica came out, I moved into the realm of Izzet. I think this was larger because they had a dragon and their emblem was a lot cooler. And then from there, when I actually got into competing, it was when I moved into the realm of Red. And once I played that first Red deck, because Red is awful in Commander. <laughs> it's just not good. It's got no business being in there in any form other than a splash color or goblins. And goblins isn't that fun, so don't do that. <laughs> so I never really got the chance to play aggro in Commander because that wasn't the playgroup that I had to where that was kind of a, a form of magic that we played. So once I played that deck in Theros... For the first time, that that was what sold me. Just immediately, I realized that that was good, fun magic. For me, maybe not my opponent, but that was all I needed. I took a big break in magic. I used to play when I was a kid, but um, when Rise of the Eldrazi came out, that's when I kind of picked it up again. And I feel like that was really like the beginning of magic's like second renaissance that like we're enjoying right now, right? Like... Zendikar block, like the Eldrazi. I mean, obviously, the, the Eldrazi have stuck around. Then you had like Return to Meriden, then you had Return to Ravnica, and then you had like Theros. And it's like, it's all been really interesting up until this point. Yeah, we're doing the uh, the return tour. Yeah. I'm liking it. Yeah. It's been good to us so far. <laughs> Magic's greatest hits. <laughs> oh, yes. 
Now that's what I call magic. <laughs> you know what? This is funny because like, you know, obviously right now we're recording and this, you know, episode is going to be released in the future, but not not to date this too much. But like, I remember a while ago on Twitter, Mark Rosewater had one of those like head to head things that like he always does, right? And I love them. And then one day it was like themes and he just threw out a bunch of crazy themes. It was like pirates, uh, dinosaurs, um, you know, Mayan theme, um, Egyptian theme and blah, blah, blah theme and blah, blah, blah theme. And a bunch of people had ridden off a whole bunch of these worlds is like whatevs, right? And I was just like kind of stuck in that old mindset of, gosh, I really would love to go back to Dominaria, which we heard is coming, we're going back to. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, oh my gosh, right? And then, but I was just like, pirate world? That's like a little, that's like Assassin's Creed and then they could do like the pirate Assassin's Creed and everyone's like, what is this, right? And then and then it's like dinosaurs it's, and then like Jurassic Park came out. And so, I felt, I feel like now looking back on that one head-to-head that he did, like Ixalan, Amonkhet, like it's I think those two there. did well. Yeah, I think all those here. two got far into the rankings too. Yeah, but I remember, yeah, Pirate World. I've always been a big advocate of. I don't really know why, but when I had slightly less of a beard, someone once said that I had roguish looks, and since then I was sold on the idea of pirates. <laughs> you have roguish looks. I still don't know what that means. I just assume that it's pirate related. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think what roguish looks looks like is like you have a little bit of a beard. You you look clean-ish, but you're also like not a huge mess, but you're also you can be well worn. Like Aragorn from like Lord of the Rings, right? Like that's a roguish look. You've got the red baron thing going. <laughs> That's a roguish look, right? Uh, he seemed well kept. He had the scarf and the hat and the goggles. <laughs> and you know, know what's so funny is like the only image of the Red Baron that I have is from the pizza box right now. That's interesting. <laughs> Most people who hear it actually think of Snoopy. Oh, really? Yeah, Snoopy is a big popular one. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Occasionally on my stream, uh, Sean Yu, the local Snoopy legend and uh, advocate, actually put onto my stream to where any time that I would win a match on my stream, he would put in the command and a little gif of Snoopy going, the curse. You Red Baron would show up. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Sean's a great commentator as well. You know, this is a great segue because I wanted to talk to you, TJ, about really what is it like to broadcast, to cast, to commentate, to provide commentary for the game of Magic? I mean, Geek Fortress, you've really built that stream up and really it's been on the back of good commentary. It all started, so I don't really have much training per se other than just doing it, but... I have the thought that it's a lot easier to make something bad than something great. So, we just started off by making something that was kind of bad and improving it over time because otherwise <laughs> we just never would have gone anywhere. So, it is pretty exciting to be able to interact with the community and interact with those players and, and being able to tell a story and what we're doing is a really exciting thing. I love just watching the magic and watching as these plays happen, trying to get inside their head as they make these plays because there's so many perspectives and having that third one is really strange because in some ways you have more information, but in other ways you're lacking in information because they've been chasing this line in their mind and they've also got their previous experiences and what has worked and what hasn't. And they've got their experiences on just how they interact with this player. You know, if they're friends, maybe they have these signals that they're able to read from each other. So we're trying to read into each of their moves, draw that information from it so that we can say what's even happening. And at the same time, trying to tell it in a story that's exciting, because the part about what we do that I like the most is that the game is exciting. 
And, it, and I love this game and playing this game is fun and watching this game is fun. And if I can take that excitement that is at the table and that excitement that I feel and pass it on to someone else and make them feel something, I think that is far more important. Not that learning is important, but learning about the match, it has its values, but just watching and feeling something and caring about what you're feeling and what you're watching is I think probably the most important aspect. So I love that feeling of getting excited about something and being able to share that excitement with other people. The thing that connects all Magic players is just to play the game of Magic, right? Whether we're consuming the content, whatever that, that form of content may take, in our minds, we're visualizing what it feels like, what it looks like, the experience. And when we watch a stream, like that's TV for us these days, like that brings us very close. And like, the commentators are saying things that are in our heads that like, we want this to happen. Like, this is the line. Like, this is what we expect it to happen. And then like that synergy of it actually happening or it not happening, it doesn't matter. But like, it, it really makes or breaks the experience. Yeah, it's just so exciting to be able to interact with them because we actually interact with the chat a lot more in ours than many others. Yeah, yeah, it's that's right. That we enjoy because that feeling of community and that feeling of the people who, you know, they're taking their time to watch us and that their time is just as valuable as ours. So I like that we're able to hear what they're saying, respond to it and let the conversation flow naturally. So sometimes, you know, as the match goes, we'll take a little bit of a segue and then we'll return back to the match and walking that line between interaction with the chat, having fun with your co-host, because at the end of the day, it is a game and also providing that detailed to some degree analysis of what's happening on the table. Walking that line is something that we'll probably never have 100% all the time or even close to that. But just exploring those different areas of interacting with everybody who's involved in the process is fantastic and exciting. It makes a difference when you're not only connecting as like a host and as a commentator with your audience and with the chat, but also to be able to connect with your co-hosts. Could you tell us a little bit about who your co-host is and who your team is? Because I know it's a lot of other people behind the scenes making this work. Could not do this alone. Wouldn't even be close to the same experience. Probably would have never even happened. The stream started off with the equipment and the idea of someone named Sean, actually, who now lives up in Alaska. And it was his concept. We actually ran the stream before this two-year sprint. About a year previous to that, we actually tried it. But we didn't have any commentary or overlay. We didn't have the technical aspect of it at the time. So we eventually just took it back down. But in the co-host, there are a great many of people who have jumped in, some players from Seattle, players from the local area. Two of the main ones right now are Steven and Coleman, who have been taking a lot of it. They're actually in there right now, probably live at the moment, talking about standard, as we've been increasing that repertoire to have as many formats as possible. Uh, it's mostly people from the store who have been interested in helping out in some capacity. And it's fun to take that excitement that they have and shine a light on it and let them have their perspective on it. Because every time that we can get someone new or a repeat or whatever it is, it's providing a different perspective and a different way to tell the story as you change that viewpoint. So I have been mostly a constant throughout, but it's been a lot of fun to explore the back and forth and the relationship that we can have as two people, as each of them step in and absolutely could not do it without them. It has just been phenomenal to connect to these people who have 
been able to jump in and, and work with me. So we've got Steven, we've got Coleman here, you know, on the team with you, TJ, producing this from a content standpoint, from like being the face of the stream. What about technically speaking? Like, what are we looking at there? So it all started with a guy named AJ, who was able to put together our first overlay. He was able to lend us some of the early equipment. And he was around for a bit, had to move for a short bit. A lot of our technical people end up moving, as it turns out. They're a traveling bunch. Uh, he's actually back since. But once he left, someone by the name of David, who was a good friend from, you know, nearby and then just offered to help out. And he was amazing with this technology, designed our new overlay from scratch, lent us his computer when ours was crashing for a little bit to make sure that the stream could keep going, uh, helped us with a ton of the technical cameras as we continued to try and update our system, did a lot of the graphic design early on. And then since then, as we're kind of going through actually a pretty big overhaul now, and since he's moved to Boston, again, they're a traveling bunch. Uh, Ian, who is a player at the store, who's also very technically capable and fantastic at having these ideas and much credit to him because he is so patient with me. We'll get together. We're actually going to spend some time tomorrow and we're probably going to spend about five hours at his place just going over stuff. And every single time it's like, I'm taking a bowl of spaghetti that I think might be done and I'm just throwing the pot at the wall and seeing what sticks. And he is so fantastic at being that soundboard to throw things at. And instead of saying, no, that's not possible, or yes, this is easy, he says, all right, let's make this work. How can we do this? Is this the end goal or is this a stepping stone to something better? And he's so fantastic at taking us down that pathway and, and helping us realize that those ideas and those visions that come to us. We have two more people. We've got AJ and Ian now doing like, also have contributed to the stream technically. And, um, you know, obviously there's also uh, Dylan. <laughs> Dylan, the store owner, can't do it without him. <laughs> yeah, he, he's the one who has the keys to the store. So, that would be a pretty big prohibitive uh, step for us. But yeah, he's absolutely fantastic. Helps us do what we do early on in the process. I asked him if I could have essentially complete control over everything to make sure to somewhat streamline the process and just be as focused as possible on what we do without having to take a detour in every step to clue him in and, you know, said, I'm not going to do anything to embarrass the store. I'll talk to you about stuff that will impact you. Can I just, can I just run this? Can I, can the creative aspect of this be mine? He said yes, with very little thought whatsoever. And it's worked out great. So I keep pushing forward with ideas. I keep him in the loop. He keeps pushing his ideas to me when he has them and we make it happen. Yeah, he's been fantastically supportive of the whole process and does whatever he can to say yes. Can't always say yes to all of my ideas. But as the store is actually moving to a new location, it gave me a lot of opportunities to get a lot of those yeses. Since we were starting from square one again, instead of working with a lot of things that had already been established. So a lot of good things to come as the store is moving its locations. And Dylan's been fantastic the whole way. It feels like that it takes a village. It's like raising a kid. <laughs> it was the perfect storm of what we had. So we, I think in many ways, got lucky in some of our aspects. Having someone who was so technical was phenomenal. And in a lot of ways, it wasn't that... It wouldn't have been possible otherwise, but 
our timeline has been significantly reduced by the amount of people who have been willing to help. And the community at every step of the way has been fantastic. The players have asked what they can do to help and they've helped us along the way and given us feedback on what we can do better to help them and what they can do to help us. The amount of people who have just stepped into the booth from the very first co-host, Justin, to many of the more recent and everyone in between who's either done a couple of them with me or done many of them with me, at every single step, I have felt like I have been supported by the people around me in doing this, which is incredibly helpful and makes it all possible when I'm putting as many hours into it. Having that support, it would not have been possible without it. It definitely took a village. Geek Fortress uh, streams quite a bit of formats, you know, standard, modern. Legacy. Legacy. Four times a week. Wow, that's a lot. Yep. I'm in there about 16 to 20 hours a week right now doing the live casting and then many other hours outside of it, either working on ideas or getting some of the equipment or just doing some brainstorm with people of what we can do in the future and trying to chase down those pathways to how they're possible. You know, there's a lot of value added here for what you are doing and also what the Geek Fortress is doing because to talk about that, to build a connection, to get, you know, 10,000 follows in a community that's growing and also like innovating because that's I'm hearing a lot of like innovation. I'm hearing a lot of ideas, like a lot of ideas that you want to do, right? We have got a lot of ideas we've that we're chasing down. Some of them are actionable right now, and Mm -hmm. we are doing it. So we've got a new computer, we've got new cameras, we've got new soundboards that we're developing right now to improve the audio. But also, we've just got a lot of concepts about what we can show better in how we operate some of the side games that we do, how we operate some of the cameras, how we operate our ability to even display it in the first place. And if we have the ability to transfer between these two matches in a way better than not only what we can do right now, but maybe better than anybody does right now. And new ways to provide that content from the floor and new ways to provide that deck information and do deck techs in an interesting way. So trying to chase down as many pathways as possible, certainly burning the candle at both ends. It seems like a lot of it, it really is like laying down the new foundation, laying down the road, because it's like you're really pioneering what this is. I mean, like Star City with the Open series and like Channel Fireball with the GPs and like Wizards of the Coast with the Pro Tour, like they're also dealing with these exact same issues. They may have a different budget, but the problem is exactly the same. Yeah, it's certainly a challenge. A lot of what we do draws its inspiration from how they're doing it and trying to put a slightly different flavor on it. One of the benefits that we have is that we, at the end of the day, aren't professionals, so to speak. This is not the primary career. We're not trying, you know, at the end of the day, this is us having fun at a local game store. And I think one of the things that's on us is to represent it as a local game store, have fun, make it be this slightly different experience than you would have. You know, a GP is a different experience than uh, a local game store. So why should a stream have the exact same feel for both? Because they're just different. Allowing ourselves to do that gives us a lot of room to innovate on some of what they've done and different ways to do it or the same way to do it. And, you know, the solutions that we come up with may not be the right solution for them, but we're working on finding the right solution for us. You know, one thing that you mentioned earlier was that you wanted to put together some kind of like a white paper or something as like a 
like a bootstrap guide for getting a stream going. You wanted to talk about the technical challenges and you wanted to be specific. You wanted to be like, this is the camera you get. This is the microphone you get. Here's your setup. Here's what your overlay looks like. Like this is like, these are your standards. Like get this person, do that, do this, and just really grow what it looks like to stream. Yeah, that's actually been something that Ian and I have been working on quite a bit. He's, again, fantastic in this technical perspective. And one thing that we've been trying to do throughout this process is document what we do. I like watching streams. I watch a lot of Twitch. I actually don't watch any TV, really, because I spend all of that free time that I would watching those Twitch streams. So anything that I can do to make other streams better or make new streams more successful, I would love to do. So what we want to do is create this starting guide that says, if this is what you're interested in, these are the steps that you can take and feel free to build off of them. Feel free to do something different, but this is a template that you can take and start. And if we have this starting level of where we began, and it won't be as technical as anything that we get up to because we've built on top of all this stuff. So if we start at this baseline of these are the most basic elements that will get you an overlay that's working. This is what will let you display that information. This is what equipment that you want to and how, you know, how you want to display it. Then we can get a lot more people started because since we began this, one thing that always surprised me, I am simultaneously amazed and not at all surprised that more stores aren't doing this. Because if you have those elements and those guidelines, it's something that I think is capable of being successful in a lot more places. And I think it's a content that is desired because a lot of people, and it's it's relatively unique at the moment, it exists, but not in nearly the same numbers that others do. If we can offer more places the ability to provide their content and each one of them would have their own specific feel and spin and characters within it, then I would love to enable those people to find that ability. Streaming is quite the technical challenge. Like, I'm a podcaster. I'm not a streamer. I looked at YouTube and streaming and all this other stuff, and I'm just like, I think I can do podcasting. I did not say to myself I could do streaming. I mean, it's it's quite a technical challenge. That's funny, because I think the same about what you're doing. <laughs> Grass is greener on the other side, I guess. Absolutely. And that's actually another thing that we're working on is help, helping build that community. One of the projects that we're working on right now, we're really excited about because part of our project for the new stream is to actually integrate card reader technology. So similar to what you see on loading ready run to where as the players are playing, they can put down a card and it brings it up immediately on the overlay so that it can display easier. Uh, it helps us for some of the more unusual cards, especially when you cross into legacy. And I have players in the local area which are avid brewers and use cards like Island Sanctuary, which I would never recognize at just a quick glance. Well, these days I would. So it provides a lot to us, but beyond that, it's actually providing us one of the solutions to our deck list problem, which we've always had, which is providing these deck lists takes an enormous amount of time from someone to collect the deck lists from the person, put them all into the system, and distribute them. And actually, by setting this one up, we have the capability as we're kind of starting to explore what we can do more, is if the person comes to our camera and they just put down their cards in a row, all 75, uh, just doesn't even need to put them in order, doesn't need to tell us how many, just one at a time, fire through them. They all get put into a thing, we click a button, and it goes to the website. And that means that we could potentially provide a deck list in two minutes, what used to take us 20 minutes what to type up after collecting it, after distributing it. The other aspect that we actually are trying to chase down is this is something that 
the we talked to a judge, and actually Stephen is a judge with us. And one thing that we're exploring with him is the ability to actually turn this into something that judges can use for deck checks. Because currently a deck check requires that they go through the whole thing. They're expected to take five minutes, to my understanding. I'm not a judge. But to my understanding, that is not something that is always achievable. And it takes a lot of time. And then you have to delay the event because then the players have to shuffle up if you stacked each card out into its individual piles. So if we can provide judges the ability to have just a card reader that the store could potentially buy if that's something that the store chooses to do for their deck check, they throw down the deck in front of it. It would recognize everything except alters, which they could put in manually. We could cut down deck checks enormously. And then events are run better. You can do more accurate deck checks. You can do faster, better, more, which is always better for running an event. So it's something that we're actually really excited about. We managed to talk to him and from what I've heard, he has mentioned it to other judges to try and get a sense of it. And it's something that that community is pretty excited about. So if we can make that happen, it's something that we're chasing to try and make everybody's lives a bit easier. The success of the Geek Fortress stream. It's been a labor of love. It's been, you know, it's been a village effort to, you know, to really bring this thing, but really to go from zero followers to 10,000 plus followers. I mean, that's quite, that's quite a milestone achievement. It's more than we ever thought that we would get, ever. So, the intent of the stream to go back to its origins, and it's the reason why we first did it without an overlay, without commentary, is that the conception of this stream was that every week, some people can't make it. And that's true of every event. You have your regulars, and sometimes they can't make it. And so, this stream began as an idea to say, well, they can't make it this week. Let's put it online for them. If they're stuck at home, they can get on, watch the store, keep in touch with the meta, keep an eye on their players that they're friends with or what have you. And that was about the highest ambition that we ever had to kick things off is let's just put it there so that they can watch. Because last time it was fairly unwatchable just without the commentary, we decided, all right, we'll toss some people back there, we'll do some commentary. I volunteered, uh, Justin volunteered, who was a friend of mine, avid legacy player. We jumped back there, we got in there, you know, I, I remember having maybe two, one, two people in there for a while. Interestingly enough, one of our current mods who goes under the name Dorotheus was in our very first ever stream and they are still there today. And wow. Yeah, absolutely incredible part of our mod team and actually pretty important part of the process that we do. They've been involved with a lot of the decisions that we do providing a viewer perspective of we get locked into these perspectives of in front of the camera and what we see. And they're able to provide an enormous amount of information and perspective from someone who is simply an observer who doesn't have the same ability to interact with everything that we do. They have been incredible for providing a lot of ideas, a lot of feedback in what we can do and how we can do it better. And somehow it picked up and somehow, uh, you know, one day we got to 20 viewers at once and I freaked out a little bit and... It's just every single time that we hit a new one of these strides, I don't know what the next one's going to be. TJ, what advice do you have for stores or individuals, players that want to stream? Make something bad. Something that I read recently and resonated really deeply with me is that humans are significantly better at critiquing and improving something bad than they are at creating something good. And what we started with was not perfect. What we started with was really not great. It was barely almost good. From that, we were able to improve because you can't get feedback on nothing. And 
No one can watch if you create nothing. So make something bad and try ideas and don't be afraid to for it to go wrong because if there was nothing to begin with, then you've lost nothing. And as you continue to go, then you can actually really build some pretty incredible stuff. So make something awful and then make it better. Just jump in. I mean, it, from obviously from this conversation, it's really clear. The Magic community is a very warm, welcoming, supportive place. There are so many people that are just going to come out of the woodwork to help you. Absolutely. Everything that we've done has not been without the help of someone in some capacity doing something incredible because they wanted to. So it, the Magic community has been phenomenal to work with, have around, be a part of. It's one of the best communities I've ever been in, if not the best. And for new players just starting off with the game, what would you like to say to them? For new players that are just starting off, make sure that whatever you do, you're having fun. Find the aspect of the game that is providing you joy that makes you feel something and explore that part of it. One thing that I think happens a lot is that people try to give new players too much information. What, what does flying mean? Well, they say, well, that can't be blocked except by creature flying or reach. Plus, there's some cards which will give the card reach. But of course, sometimes when you have flying, it's similar to how horsemanship is. So if you can find a card with horsemanship, then that's better because there's less cards, even though it's the same thing. And that's just, there's too much information there because all of that doesn't matter to this one instance. And if this person is asking what is flying, say, what is flying? It means it can't be blocked except by other flies. All right, move on. And if they <laughs> want that more information, they're going to find it. If you become intimidated by the game, then you're going to lose interest. And it's not that intimidating of a game because it's a very simple base that has so much to build off of. And if you start too high on that ladder, then, then it does look intimidating. So find the art, find the flavor text, find the giant green creatures like I did. Find that part of the game that you love and explore it because that's the part that will get you hooked and every aspect of this game is explorable from any other part. And TJ, you've watched a lot of players play Magic. What is your advice for players wanting to improve and possibly get on the Pro Tour? Be open to critique. Uh, and that's not to say that let other people tell you how to play, but I will say that I have noticed that there is a distinct difference in play from the people who have been on the camera a lot and the people who have been on camera a little bit. And this is just from a snapshot perspective. So I can't speak to that too well, but there is a difference that you feel when you're under the camera or when you're under that pressure. And having access to something that can provide you that feedback or give you that simulated environment of that high pressure when people are watching and when those people might have different opinions on what you're doing, be open to those ideas. Because you know, the, the game has been played by so many different people with so many different perspectives that no one's going to have them all right. And so I think the biggest advice from someone who isn't a pro and isn't on the pro tour and just tries to play good magic when I can, be willing to be wrong. Listen if someone else has advice. Be open, be flexible. I hear that. Again, play bad. That way you can play better. TJ, what's new for you? What's on the horizon? Either for the Geek Fortress stream, your own stream, or just you personally, professionally, what's new for you? Oh, so many things. So we talked about a lot of these improvements coming down the line. To cover that stuff, we will be adding a second feature table so that we can show more magic. We'll be adding multiple cameras to each feature table so that we can have the card reader active. 
We got a new computer, which is designed for audio and video processing so that we can actually add more to the stream as we go and also potentially start actually incorporating some podcast stuff of our own, which I'll be coming to you for advice. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. We've got actually some new equipment coming in, new monitors, new desk, new chairs, which right now we're operating on a card table and some plastic chairs. So looking forward to that new equipment and just trying to push into every aspect of this style of commentary because it's so unexplored at the moment. And this isn't the fault of the the big stream. Star City and Wizards does an incredible job of what they do. But streaming and magic is still young. And there's an enormous world that is still open to be found inside that realm. So just trying to explore these ideas as we have them and you know keep throwing that spaghetti against the wall is something that I'm really excited about and especially making it to where new streamers can come in and they can start having those ideas of their own and working with them. For my personal stream, looking to get back into that one, took a little bit of time off as we've been rebuilding the store stream. So looking to get into that one, a little bit of variety streaming, looking to play a deck other than burn in addition to burn. So expanding not only the decks that I play, because actually when I did compete, I varied between a pretty solid variety of decks, but burn is the one that just stuck with me and is the one that I enjoy the most. So that's the one I played on stream, trying to get into a bigger variety of not only that, but in games as well. And continuing to push forward in the uh, the professional career. If I can find a way to work my way into the community more, I will. I'd love to work with Star City or Wizards in the future, doing some commentary with them because their work is incredible. But again, it's got a long way to go. And I would love to be a part of pushing it into that future and finding those new avenues to be explored. Pushing forward and just going to keep throwing those ideas out until I run out of them. Yeah, you also said that you were interested in marketing, PR, or communications, and you're like super connected into the community. Like you absolutely know what the community is about, what the game is about, how to connect with people who are interested in the game. And you're very good at talking about the game, not just from like a match perspective, but like really what the community is up to. Like definitely, I would love to see you in some capacity in the future with Wizards doing communication and marketing with them. I would certainly be open to that. Yeah. And also, Continuing to work on some ideas for the Rogues Gallery, the stream team that I'm a part of, trying to develop different ideas for us to work together and also work with other teams. So one idea that we've been working with that uh, is still very much in the preliminary stages is trying to set up an online streamer showdown between Team Card Hoarder and the Rogues Gallery oh. in a variety of formats. So trying to set it up to where we have commentary between myself and a representative from Card Hoarder and then show the matches between a Rogue and a Card Hoarder member and trying to provide that commentary and do something relatively similar to what uh, Randy Bueller has done with his various Super Leagues and Trying to just explore that route of connecting and maybe even trying to build rivalries and while friendly, caring about people as characters and having sides and teams is something that can really help build a community. So if we can explore that, then we'll be doing that in the future as well. That's super cool. And real quick, can you tell us a little bit about the Rogues Gallery? Phenomenal group of people started, uh, probably feels like uh, back at last fall. But up to about 15 members, and it's mostly just a group based around helping each other get better at streaming and communicate with each other, 
Um, not a whole lot of, you know, it's, it's not a particularly monetary thing. It's mostly just around this idea of taking newer, smaller streamers, which is largely what we are. I think our two biggest streamers are uh, Todd Stevens and myself, and trying to help these streamers grow in whatever way that they can. And if it's offering them, you know, support, because streaming takes a lot out of you, it is a process which you are on a spotlight. And when you don't do well, you can feel it. And there's a lot of emotion that you feel while you're doing this. And some of it lows, even though, you know, there's so many of those highs. And so being able to support each other in that aspect or support each other technically, you know, when I was first building my home computer, I was able to get a lot of hope or a lot of help from, uh, CS, who actually happened to have a processor that he was looking to upgrade. So he was able to provide me with some of those computer cards and cut down on my own expenses so that I could find what I was looking to do better and just helping each other improve collectively. Because anytime that you can make the other streams better, you're watching those. And if you can help them improve, then you're helping the content that you consume improve. It's like if you were watching TV and you could talk directly with the producers of the show. If you can help them make a show that you would watch more and that others would watch more, why not? So it's been an incredible group to work with and it's a fantastic cast of characters. Wow, I love it. That would be so cool in the future to have like a streamer showdown, like some really big streamer tournament, like, you know, produce kind of like a Super League, like that would be so cool. I'm excited about the idea of that one. It's been a little bit on the back burner with some of the other stuff that we've been developing, and it's got some technical hurdles that we didn't expect to be able to have all the information. So looking to explore those ones as we come up to that one and try and make it the best that we can. Okay, everyone, we're going to have more from TJ Rogers coming up in a little bit. But first, a word from our sponsors. TJ, you have a very special Patreon supporters gift for us. Could you tell us what it is? Absolutely. For some very special members, they will be getting their own copy of such an incredible card. It is called Mana Clash. Okay, what does it do? Oh, you don't know no. about the <laughs> fantastic single red sorcery where you and target opponent each flip a coin. And then it deals one damage to each player who revealed tails. And you continue to do this until neither of you reveal tails, which is incidentally the only one card turn one win that I'm aware of in modern or possibly magic to do with a single <laughs> card, which if that doesn't make it a powerhouse, I don't know what is. In addition to that, it is a little bit of magic history because Mana Clash, as a fun little fact, was actually the original name of the game. That's correct. In my interview, uh, season two finale with Richard Garfield, he revealed that Mana Clash was one of the playtest names for Magic the Gathering. So. Absolutely. And it got eternalized on this epitome of card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't really come up with what it was the epitome of, so I just went with something generic. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what was great is that it is the epitome of red because it's like random, right? And it right. deals damage and it's yes. a little chaotic. It's a little goofy. It could fail miserably because you and your opponent can flip heads, heads, and then be like, whoop, done, right? I've done it. <laughs> It was very disappointing. <laughs> very disappointing. Other times it's a uh, one mana flame slash. We both take four. I've also gotten a turn two kill with it. Not, wow. I've not achieved the turn one. Wow. But with two mana clashes and a goblin guide, we ended up at negative seven to three. I came away just barely with the win. 
Wow, that's amazing. It was a good day. I love it. I love it. Okay, well, you heard that, listeners. I'm going to have a whole bunch of copies of these for TJ to sign, and uh, I hope you enjoy. So thank you so much, TJ. My pleasure. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by the generous support of listeners like you. In the last three seasons, the show has been downloaded over 100,000 times and has reached the far corners of the world. Thank you so much for listening to the show. As you know, I give out gifts, little mementos from my interviews to my Patreon supporters. If you'd like to receive signed cards and other cool things, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Thank you so much. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. The Kitchen Table Magic podcast has been all about the origins of the game and members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games is so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for Magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games that allow local communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, please be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They also have great online reviews and that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of singles, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern and legacy staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic singles. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of the 36 new pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. You'll get access to Card Kingdom's private reserve, which are special deals for chase rares at significantly discounted prices. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com KTM. Okay, and we are back. TJ, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? I might have some rapid answers, but I'm ready to try. <laughs> okay, sounds good. All right, TJ, rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what is your favorite color and why? Red, not close. It's <laughs> just the, they don't call it red deck wins for nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just the color that has the most action. It's got the most emotion. It's got the most just inherent fun to me. I love what the color does. I love playing that color. I love having those decisions that mean more because you're going to be making a lot less of them because okay. that game's going to be over fast. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um. Everyone always says, you know, red deck wins. It's so easy because you count to 20. Well, guess what? Sometimes the rules don't allow you to count to 20. Sometimes you have to count to 26. Have you seen Pulse of Marasa? <laughs> yeah, I hate that card. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. And DJ, if you were to pair red with another color or another combination of colors, what would you choose? 
I think I, I'm actually always a little bit on the fence with this one, but I think I got to go with green. I think it has the most just kind of guttural power behind it. And you get a Tarko's command and you get a lot of uh, aggression and, and good efficient cards that way. The other one would probably be red white just because that one's got a little bit uh, efficiency. That one's got a, it's got Boros charm. I like Boros charm a lot, but Red green, red green's probably got the the good old beatdowns. Oh yeah, red green mixed together, they both get so amped. I think whenever you mix green with anything, that color identity gets much stronger. You mix red with anything, it gets faster. It gets a little little more wild, a little bit more hasty. Oh yeah, Zanagos, he was a fun god. Yeah, he was a good one. Yeah, haste and plus x plus x is like perfect color that, identity. That's a revel I'm ready to be a part of. Yeah, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Okay. TJ, question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? I would actually make it more coverage. So, one of my gripes, so to speak, is that I would love to see every GP streamed, including all the ones that are on the same weekend, record some of them or put them simultaneous, have Magic 1, Magic 2, Magic 3. Just provide more of that content because... The biggest realist part of Magic is its community and it's its paper tournaments. That is where Magic lives and breathes. And if you can show more of that world to, you know, the viewers and create more good content, because as you create more content, then you start to gather more viewers because there is something to watch. And I think creating more content from sort of the, the company itself and one of its absolute flagship representatives in Star City, uh, who, you know, puts on a show for the game as well. I would just love to see more of that and uh, looking forward to it. Just with the way the game is growing, I think the player base is hungry for more content. Like everyone just wants more of everything. It's oh, a good problem yeah. to have, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, TJ, rapid fire question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? The most fun game they've ever had is probably what I would want everyone to have because that is what you look back on. At the end of the day, we're playing a game with who is hopefully our friends or at least acquaintances who have the potential to be friends. And I want every game to have that aspect of fun. There's a lot of different ways to play this game, but at the end of the day, it is one. And so I'd love for everyone to experience that one game that they can always look back on and that, you know, win or lose, it was a good game. So I would, I would like everyone to experience that one. TJ, rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? Well, I already talked about one aspect of it, which was the coverage, but my perspective is very much in the idea of presenting it. A lot of what I do is trying to take magic and put it into this um, package to give to someone and they can consume that as content. And so more exciting ways and better ways to do that is really big. Uh, you know, I'd love to see a magic online which presents itself in a way that is visually appealing um, because currently as it is, it has a lot of things going for it to where you can at least see the cards, but I'd love to see it to where there was a little bit more that uh, someone who actually doesn't play Magic could have something to look at and enjoy, and that's something that other card games do to where there are 
you know, whether it's animations or it's color scheme or however it does it, it presents it in a way that's visually appealing and it makes you want to see more as opposed to just want to hear or consume more. So seeing more exciting ways to present magic to people who both are fans and could be fans is what I'm really excited about. We haven't fully, as a community, maxed out all the different ways of presenting it, right? Not even close. There's a world of content out there. You know, we're on the surface right now when we're creating that baseline through all the different ways that we do. It's going to be a pretty cool time to see people grow off of all of these and, and explore the full realm of what magic content can be. And last, TJ, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? I would say to support at least one other person who plays magic in some way, whether that's by helping them with what they do or being that friend or being that positive sense of reinforcement, help one other person enjoy this game and it'll keep being the incredible place that we know. While you're at it, if you want to check out uh, twitch.tv slash geekfortress or twitch.tv slash redbaronmtg, then you can see me streaming at both of those platforms and you can also reach out to me at redbaronmtg on Twitter. That's awesome. And I will have links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. TJ, I just wanted to thank you for being here. And I also wanted to thank you for what you're doing for the magic community. It really takes a village to build something like create content or get to the pro tour or play test with friends. I mean, everyone's got that story, right? But what you're doing is you're streaming, broadcasting local players and what they're doing on a weekly basis to people all around the world. The growth that you've had in the last two years of getting to 10,000 followers, like that's, that's not a small milestone. I really want people to kind of think about the implications of what this is, right? TJ didn't like, you know, do any magical formula. You know, it's not like you're like LSV and, you know, everyone already knows you. And if you have a stream, then everyone's going to follow the stream. I mean, it it really is a little different, right? This is really the community coming together and pulling for the community. I really wanted to thank you because that takes a lot. That takes a lot of your heart, your soul, your time, your energy, the people there. And like Dylan, I mean, like Dylan's shelling out for that. Like everyone is contributing something. So that leadership, that stand that you are for the magic community, I just wanted to thank you for that because it really takes a lot of heart to do that. And the magic community is a better off of a place because you're doing that. So thank you, TJ. Well, thank you. I guess to everybody who is listening, what I would ask of you is to Find a content creator and support them. Everything that we do costs us in some aspects. There's been a lot of time, a lot of emotion, a lot of effort, and a lot of favors being called in. And every step along the way has been possible because someone decided to help us. And if you can be that person for someone, it's an incredible step in the right direction for them. And whether it's emotionally, monetarily, anything that you can do to help that person continue to create, the community is just going to keep getting better. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with TJ Rogers. Go say hi to him on Twitter at RedBaronMTG. You can check out the stream at twitch.tv slash geekfortress and twitch.tv slash RedBaronMTG. I'll have all the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I want to take a moment to thank all of my Patreon supporters, Brian, Marcus, James L, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark, Aaron M, Neil, James G, Aaron C, Corey, Chad, Logan, The Magic Man Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Charlie, Geraint, Scryfall, Matt, Ian, Priscovi, Ryan, and Carl. 
Listeners, if you'd like to get special gifts from my interviews, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and keeps it running by helping to pay for audio equipment, software, and server costs. And now that I've partnered with Card Kingdom, there's a new way to support the show. When you shop at Card Kingdom, just use my affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash KTM. A big thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic the Gathering community with the world. If you haven't heard already, I've created a new YouTube channel called Play MTG. It's an upbeat, fast-paced YouTube channel featuring deck techs from the pros, learn-to-play tutorials, level-up advice, card discussion, community news, and more. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash Play MTG. Special thanks to Dev for the shout-out on his YouTube channel that helped me get a bunch of new subscribers. I really appreciate your support, Dev. Follow the channel on Twitter at play underscore MTG. It's also on Facebook at facebook.com slash play MTG, all one word. I'm looking forward to creating new content and I've got some collaborations and new videos in the works. Be sure to subscribe to Kitchen Table Magic on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and mtgcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast. The show is on Facebook.com slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. All of the show notes are at kitchentablemagic.org. If you're new to the show, there's plenty of past episodes to listen to, and please be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. And that ignited a spark in us and we just wanted to battle. We just wanted to fight people. And so... (laughs) Just wanted to fight people. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when we play Magic, we talk a lot of trash. And I think that's part of the fun of it. You know, people are very cordial and I get that too. But if you can get some lighthearted trash talking in there or even some not so lighthearted trash talking, you know, it makes it more interesting. It gives you a storyline like, oh, this guy always beats me. I hate him. And, he, you know, there's definitely sharks in the scene, tournament scene. You're like, I never beat this guy. I need to crush him. And it's like high stakes. And that's the most fun magic. I like tense tournament magic. You know, fast forward a couple of years. And then we have like a posse of like 15 dudes with decks. And we all roll out to tournaments and try and take them down. It was, it was pretty fun. I'm talking to he who speaks for the trees, the authority on legacy elves, Daniel Nguyen. Daniel is all about that legacy action. She shares with us how he got into the super grindy, competitive world of spikes. Daniel devoted his playtesting to hone his abilities playing legacy elves, and whenever he appears on the Card Kingdom legacy stream, it's like watching a masterclass. Daniel doesn't always talk trash, so join me and Daniel Nguyen as we talk about grinding legacy on the streets of Seattle, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.